0: What's up, everybody? Coming to you straight out of the DBT sound room, we're bringing you another episode of the Music Podcast Deluxe. That's
1: right. Muck and Dre are back, baby. And we're ready to blow your mind. Woo! In season two, we're going to keep doing what we do best. And that's talking about concerts, records, experiences, and everything. Make sure you stay up to date by hitting subscribe, because we're going to have some kick-ass guests coming your way. So stay a while, and make some time for music. Okay, so this is episode number 22 of the Music Podcast Deluxe, and we are primed, we are going deep, a history of one of my favorite fucking bands
0: ever. Our favorite fucking bands ever, by the way.
1: We're talking about the Angry Four, we're talking about Brad, Tim, Tom, and Zach, Rage Against
0: the Machine. Rage Against the Fucking Machine. And I don't really care if you don't like Rage. You can skip this episode, but listen to it. I mean, look, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be upfront. You may not like all their stuff. Put the first album on two songs. Just give it two songs.
1: Take it in. Cause you know, at the end of the day, uh, that is music history right there. They're easily one of the biggest bands coming out of the nineties. One of the most important bands in rock or music in general. We, we just, we needed this whole episode to do the, to do it justice. To do it justice. And, and what's so aggravating about this whole thing is <clears throat> that I would say 90% of the time when we're talking about bands on this, we're talking about music that we've listened to, we've seen them live, and we have not seen Rage Against the Machine live. They have eluded us. I mean, it was,
0: we were young. When Rage was huge, we were young. We were just at that borderline, slightly too young to go to their shows, not really sure. What or who rage against the machine was? Yeah. Maybe it was a little bit terrifying to us.
1: No, by the, by the time, uh, Battle of Los Angeles came around, we were at, we were at age, but that was close to their breakup. They were having problems while they had problems, but we got close, right? We got close with audio slave and we've talked about that show before. And I've talked about the time that I almost bought a ticket to go to California when they re- had the reunion in at, 2007. At Coachella. At Coachella. I've talked about that. So what we're going to focus on this episode is.
0: The history. Now, you you said break up. Technically, they're not actually broken up. They're just doing their own shit. Okay, well, I mean... Let's be fair. They're not active. I don't think we're going to see them, and even if we were to see them in our lifetime as Rage Against the Machine, I don't think it would do its justice, but it would still be fucking awesome. Like, uh, if I go see this in 10 years... I I can't be the same person. I can't react the same way at the show. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fragile.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Of course, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna be in the the pit. You wanna be in the center of that crowd, and to be in the center of that crowd, it's no easy physical feat.
0: No, it I, is I, no easy physical. I'm not fit. gonna be a fucking shape for that. Let's be honest.
1: Well, I mean, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Until then. We enjoy the music and we talk about it. We nerd out, right? That's what we're going to do what, right now.
0: What would you do if uh and we knew in 2 years they were coming back, would you camp out several days to get close to the front? Several days, several days. No. I can see myself spending an entire night and day there. Night and day like go really late yeah. at night and then but like you have to stay awake. Yeah. Uh, We'd be dead. Yeah, it'd be be,
1: uh, a bunch of coffee would have to be taking place. And adrenaline, man. And adrenaline. So let's rewind to the beginning. Now this kind of... Long story short, things started when uh, Tom and Brad, guitarist and drummer, Brad Wilk, Tom Morello... First got together. They each had their own thing happening. Actually, I listened to this really interesting podcast. If you guys like Rage Against the Machine, this guy's hilarious. His name's uh, Dean Del Rey. Uh, His podcast is called Let There Be Talk, episode 419. He's got Brad Wilk on there for two and a half hours. You guys should check that out. Uh, Really interesting interview. Uh, What stood out to me in in that particular interview was Brad was talking about how uh, he was working it before Rage Against the Machine and what he was up to at that point. And you get a sense how all these 90s guys on the West Coast, they kind of knew each other. Because Brad was friends with Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. Okay. Actually tried out, uh, at, when their first drummer had a drug problem, Brad tried out to record their biggest album, 10. No shit. For Pearl Jam. It didn't work out. Like, the groove wasn't there. Like, it didn't mesh with the basses. Things weren't working out. But, like, he, he was a roommate with Eddie Vedder in L.A. They had shared apartment. Like, one of their spare apartments, like... Then you had, uh, before Zach got on board, when Tom and Brad were jamming, Tom knew Maynard from Tool. Mm -hmm. He used to fucking sing with them, but like he wasn't exactly getting what he wanted out of it, and then he found Tool, and that's a whole different sound, right? Right, and
0: it makes sense that they had him as a a guest on the first album.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for Know Your Enemy. So then you see this whole process of how he went through a whole bunch of rejection, like a whole bunch of not getting there before they actually found something that clicked. So you had Tom and Brad uh knew about this uh uh crazy singer in a punk band. I think it was called Inside Out. And uh found Tom brought Zach in. He tried out, blew them away. Yeah. The energy, the energy was just something that they were looking for and something that they didn't know what kind of vocals they wanted to hear over their music.
0: Imagine Okay, it's not a possibility, but we are imagine we start looking for a singer, and someone with that power just comes into the band, like that potential, like we—it would blow us away. Yeah, like we,
1: he was an obvious purist too, you know, like he actually believed the words he was saying. It came from a really angry, really real, raw place, you know. Oh yeah,
0: he was definitely upset.
1: So they brought him in because that 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 made a lot of sense, and then Zach knew Tim brought Tim in, final piece of the puzzle, Bam. everything clicks together, and the fucking band hit it like a freight train, man. Uh, they recorded a first 12-song demo on their own, and that's what they used to shop around to get gigs, and they started playing gigs. And not long after, uh, they had um, major label support. They got signed, and their first album got funded. Uh, it was almost entirely based on that first 12-song demo, although not all the songs made it. Remember that Sound City documentary? Yep, uh, where they have that um, that shot of Rage Against the Machine recording, and there's just a bunch of people in the room. Well, the reason why there was a bunch of people in the room was because they, for days, tried record tried recording that band to a click. For days, they tried recording that band to a click. It wasn't and working. It was not working over and over and over again, and nobody was questioning whether these guys could play or not, but the sound and the way the tempos of the songs went were not to be played to a click no you can't so the, the the that's it you can't the producer said okay guys scrap this go home get a bunch of your friends come on down uh tomorrow night we're going to record you guys live in one room so they set <laughs> they up all the mics a room full of people that night that night they recorded most of the nailed album nailed it they fucking nailed it most of the album got done boom that, I feel, is so, that story, that little tidbit or fun fact, it represents so much of what the band is about. Mm-hmm. You can't get there unless, like that's what the album feels like. It's it's so raw that you cannot try and place that to a click. You know, you you need people to react to the music, to, to bring it out properly.
0: What's interesting is a lot of the songs, when you listen to them, throughout all of their albums, you do see that, uh, While you're listening You're like Wow that, It kind of shifts Like whoa This really sped up Like the, yeah. the portion of the song Gets really Like a significant Tempo change oh, How it, would you do that? I don't well, even know just, How you record like that
1: It could just be like A weird swing That goes with the vocal mm-hmm. Or like uh, I don't know Just The, the, the way The song The way the band Is is made The way they're, they're Supposed to be functioning Is in a live Raw as hell setting You know and, again, man, like I can fucking cry saying it because we haven't seen him live, and I don't think we will. I don't think we will how we want it to, but it's just one of those pills we're going to have to swallow, you know? It's just one of those pills we're going to have to swallow.
0: Okay, so, where were we? Self-titled, first album. So they get signed,
1: are. they record uh, their first self-titled album.
0: Uh, what they? It was a fucking huge success, man. Okay, so that came out in 1992. Uh, it had four singles on it and was triple platinum. Boom. Yeah, I, for for, a, for an anti-capitalist band, they sure sold a whole lot
1: of <laughs> fucking albums. And, and, you know, it's just funny because the record label knew that they had something special going on. Mm-hmm. They didn't challenge them for nothing. They signed with the label that would let them do whatever they want. Dude, they put a actual picture, a, a, a picture of an actual burning monk. hmm on their the, first, the first record, album.
0: yeah,
1: this is an actual human being on fire in the record stores on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that gives you a real clear idea. Their the, their first single, "Killing in the Name," had.
0: Seventeen fuck you's in it.
1: The uh unradio friendly version. Mm-hmm. I think there was a radio edit because it was probably playing on MTV too.
0: Oh yeah, I mean at that point it was a single. That's right? the I thing mean.
1: though, like simultaneously MTV's pushing like the, the music video right now is a product to be pushed, so that all these companies like MTV are pushing the music videos. They're really kinda building the scene, you know? Think about it, you got uh, Pearl Jam in the background, you got Nirvana, you got Soundgarden, you got all the the grunge thing is happening, and then you have Rage Against the Machine, you got Red Hot Chili Peppers, you got Tool, more of the California thing going on over there. So it's like prime time here. They hit, they hit the, the nail on the head with their timing.
0: And their first album out, you get your four singles. You get Killing in the Name, you get Bullet in the Head, you get Bomb Track, you get Freedom. Those are four fucking incredibly... Powerful killer, songs. Killer like tracks. The message behind everything in this first album, if you listen to Zach's lyrics in every single one of these songs, you're like, holy shit, he is not happy with, with the way things are and what we've become and where we're headed. And there's, there's like cries to, to change, you know? Like get your shit together. Action
1: is needed yeah. immediately. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's
1: time to, it's it's time to get together here. We're a barbaric
0: society. Look at what we're fucking doing. It's a political
1: message that is, it speaks very much to the recent rise of commercialism. You know, like there's all kinds of protest songs from the sixties and seventies, but rage against the machine really focuses on excess, on how much more we use than we actually need. This is, these are prime. Like, a very fundamental messages in, in a lot of their songs. Mm-hmm. And they would almost always support, like, the most socialist movement happening.
0: And I think even today, listening back to, like, the entire catalog of rage, it's still relevant. We're still in a really dirty political society. Look at what the United States are going through right now you're hearing the President of the United States say things that have never been said before in front of the people like, yeah
1: it's a weird time man it's it, a it's a, live in a weird time yeah I know it's you're absolutely right man and you know even with this uh Trump thing I know that when Trump got elected a lot of Rage against the machines fans were like okay like now's the time mm-hmm. like now they're gonna they're gonna get back together and there was there was rumors there's always been rumors right yeah. but like you said they're never officially broken up but they're not active.
0: If they feel like playing, they're going to play, right? And I think the message needs to be... Or the, the motivation to play yeah, and the reason to play needs to be... Needs well, to be I guess we
1: will continue to hold our breaths.
0: Well, look, we, we heard recently... Was it... Uh, I read rec- as recently as uh, last month or two months ago that there's still talks maybe that uh, we'll see another show or some some new stuff from them. Who knows? Who the fuck knows at this point? Makes me angry. You know that? It, it's, it's a horror. It, it, it's a tough pill to swallow, dude. Okay, let, let's just move on now. Look, okay, so for for preparation of this episode, I listened to the entire four studio albums. I listened to Self Titled, I listened to Evil Empire, which was 1996. 1996. I listened to Battle of Los Angeles, and I listened to Renegades. I think your personal favorite is Evil Empire. I
1: keep flip flopping, man.
0: Four years later, 1996 rolls around, Evil Empire is released. Four singles Bulls on Parade, People of the Sun, Down Rodeo, And Vietnam. That's amazing, man. Second
1: album, all that work. Look, dude, uh, 96, the album came out. 97, they're opening for
0: U2. You know, we were talking about this just before the show.
1: Yeah, uh, I know it seems weird, right? Rage Against the Machine opening for U2. I don't understand it. It's because you don't know early U2. Yeah. That's what it is. In 97, I'm sure it made a lot more sense. They were touring their uh, pop album. And you know what Bono and U2 does with their political messages, and their cries out for help in their music. You know, there's a lot in common lyrically between what uh, U2 does and what Rage Against the Machine does, as far as message goes. Largely anti-capitalist, largely socialist, want to help people that are being taken advantage of all around the planet. And uh, what Rage Against the Machine did was, for that tour, donated their entire proceeds to a whole bunch of charities. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. That's fucking really cool. Yeah.
1: Amongst uh, so a couple of those charities were uh, Women Alive, uh, the Zapatista Front for National Liberate- Liberation. Uh, so I mean, good for fucking them, man. They took that spot with U Two, and U Two is a respected band. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I know that they've had guys like Interpol and Muse open up for them. They, they're they're just they're a they're a band that can
0: basically have whatever opener they want (laughs) i i I understand that i understand that they have a lot of influence in the music community they're gonna call on a band and you're not gonna turn that up why would you pass up that opportunity what i'm saying is you have stuff okay and that was just after evil empire releases yeah about a year later people of the sun down rodeo vietnam roll right stuff from their first album, Killing in the Name, you're playing this on the stage before U2. You would think that it's a completely different, I know, different set like, of people going to that it's show. It's like
1: Vietnam going into, like, uh, With or Without You, or Where the Streets Have No Name. Yeah, like... I know, man. Look, but, you know, the, the a lot of those uh, calm, cool, kind of melodic songs that you 2 is spitting is, are, they're, they're about pain, and, 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 and dying, and war, and and all that stuff, that that same stuff, you know. So I, I bet there, were, I bet there were a few people in the audience that were completely floored by the opening act. <laughs> they
0: didn't know who Rage Against the Machine were, and they were like, "What, well, dude? Look, if I went, if I did not know who Rage Against the Machine was today, and I put them on for the first time, I would be." Yeah. I'd be like, what the fuck is this? You yeah, know? yeah. And and to that effect, I believe it has a large influence on the music we play every day. Uh, from the note patterns to some of the moves oh, yeah. that we like All to play. The time. And I mean, I would see us in the future maybe trying to cover a couple songs just to play them. They're so fucking fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that this summer. It is on the uh, DBTH uh, checklist.
0: Cover a whole bunch of Raising against Machine. Put speech. it on,
1: dude. 97. Rage Against the Machine also headlines their own tour where Wu-Tang Clan is opening up. Imagine that shit. They had some problems with them. I, I, I couldn't get much more uh, information than that uh, Wu-Tang was having some problems with the police. And they had to get them to, uh, replaced on the lineup. And who do they replace them with? But The Roots. Can you imagine seeing a Rage Against the Machine? The Roots concert
0: yeah i can actually
1: oh man would that be fucking perfect
0: especially when it happened we were like right at the right time it, we were at the right age perfect you know yeah. it would have been just perfect so we then mosey
1: along to uh 1999's the battle of los angeles
0: another four singles is this a personal favorite for you you know it's hard to say because like you i do flip-flop um, I
1: once said, Battle of Los Angeles." Yeah, my favorite. I I think so. That calm like a bomb, it gets me, man. I, I think so.
0: I think it, I think Battle of Los Angeles is my favorite because I like to play the songs more. Okay, I, I enjoy playing the Battle of Los Angeles songs more, and I think I had a lot more exposure to Battle of Los Angeles as my own album when I when self titled came out and Evil Empire came out. My a friend of mine, Shane, was a very big influencer of showing me this type of music. When Battle of Los Angeles came out, I could buy it myself.
1: All oh, right. Yeah. So, you know what? It was my uh, gateway into Rage Against the Machine too. Uh, that "Sleep Now in the Fire" riff just kind of took me over, and I just I got into the band after well,
0: that. It, it was no. Uh, Guerrilla Radio was in Tony Hawk, and I played a lot of video games. So I mean, Rage got really drilled into my head. Well, talk about okay. Talk about features
1: in in movies too. Okay, in movies, Rage Against the Machine in '99 was also featured in The Matrix. It mm-hmm. was possibly the coolest closing song. Ever in a movie. Actually featured in The Matrix twice. 2003 as well. Come Like a Bomb. and Reloaded. Yeah. Yeah. But where he's flying away there uh, to uh, wake up. mm -hmm. Oh, man. That's fucking perfect. You
0: check out our soundtrack episode. We talk about a whole bunch of cool shit like that, too. Absolutely. Uh, They also had No Shelter, which was specifically for Godzilla. And we tried to play that a couple couple weeks ago. That's that's fun (laughs) as hell. So, Battle
1: of Los Angeles. So, shortly after the Battle of Los Angeles was released... Uh, they, or along with, they recorded the video for Sleep Now in the Fire. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the song before, but the video itself uh, was pretty special because they got Michael Moore to direct it. Uh, Michael Moore from Roger and Me and all those uh, anti-American movies. I shouldn't say anti-American, but anti-capitalist movies. They got him to direct the video. And what they did was they went down to the New York Stock Exchange on Wall Street, set up And started recording a video. They got people coming and there was like a little bit of a riot that went down. And the New York Stock Exchange, as a consequence, had to close.
0: Shut down the New York Stock Exchange. They
1: actually shut down the New York Stock Exchange. And that was the video for Sleep Now in the Fire. You see them getting arrested and getting taken away at the end.
0: they're, They're no strangers to the law
1: no no, they, they've, uh, they've pushed they pushed their limits that's they're for notorious
0: sure. for for many of their shows for inciting riots they they played the National Democratic convention and that ended in, in violence in riots yes uh, after the show yes yeah. and then uh, the Republic national Convention they tried to and they got shut down so after um, at, at, later on in the evening they went and had just like a party at one at the uh, a plaza somewhere and they have a huge fucking show there. Sick. Yeah. But uh, they definitely are uh, riot bringers. Well, there was the uh, event at the
1: MTV Awards as well when they were nominated for um, Rock Music Video of the Year and they were going up against uh, Limp Bizkit's Nookie and Nookie won. Uh, Tim Comerford apparently completely unplanned. Uh, He actually turned to his band Right before he uh, he went on and did this, he said, "I'm going on stage." <laughs> and they looked at him and he said, that "That's not a good i That's not a good idea." And then he proceeded to climb over this the chairs, like actually stepped on the the heads of the chairs, uh, and made his way to the stage in flip flops. I'll have <laughs> you know, in flip flops. Got onto the stage while Fred Durst was accepting the award, and climbed this kind of sculpture structure they had on stage. Thing. It was like a scaffolding, but they kind of made it into you know it was their stage design like a backdrop. And he was like swaying it back and forth, and he would just wouldn't come down. And there was a whole bunch of security trying to get him down. Uh, the band tried to get onto stage, they got stopped, and because it's a live event. They actually had to come... They went. They cut the commercial, obviously, to try and like you know clean this up. But when they came back, they had to come back on another part of the stage so that you couldn't see because yeah, he wouldn't would come
0: down. They couldn't get him down. They didn't want to hurt him, right? They didn't want to like grab him and throw him off or whatever.
1: Well, yeah, the last thing they needed was him to fall off and then there's this like death or serious injury at the MTV Awards. Anyway, so you have a history of this kind of behavior. This is kind of what the band embodied, you know? And even from the first album, like these guys were not like, well, we're not all the time the best of friends, you know, there was always problems and there was always kind of something not working well. They, they, they look, they took four years between their first album, which was mm-hmm. a huge success. You think they'd come back quick, really quick, like, two years yeah. tops. They, they'd have their second album recorded. They waited four years. That's because they took them that long. To get their shit together.
0: Maybe they just didn't give a shit how long it took them. No,
1: no. That well, I I know that wasn't it. There was problems from the get go. They don't talk publicly about their problems, but there was always problems between the. Uh, the between I the. Mean, I guess
0: I guess with uh, with what you stand for and the shit, the type of shit you get into in a general day to day basis mm. uh, is that bound to put some strain on things. I have an idea
1: of what it would be like in my head. You have Tom Morello. I, I I imagine Brad Wilk and uh, Tim Commerford probably didn't get in the way too much, and I imagine there's like Zach and Tom on one side, and like Tom Rellos this reasonable kind of level-headed person. You have like Zach, the purist, that wants things like as as much to his message as possible. How are you like selling uh, millions of records and preaching anti-capitalism for more than three or four albums? Yeah. You know, like how long can you go on with that message before, to a purist? For me, I'm like, man, the music's there. You're still inciting that 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 feeling in your audience. You know, and the the message the message we already mentioned is like as true as ever. So even if you're getting a payday out of it, I don't see it as being a sellout really. But for somebody like Zach, that kind of thing would be a sellout. Like that's why you're not gonna it see it brings him
0: a little bit. Yeah. Trickle.
1: You know the, that's why you're not going to see uh, Rage Against the Machine back in action, full force, new album out. The grinder, they're not going to go through the grinder. I don't know. I don't out. know, man. I don't know what it would take. I don't know. I feel like it would take a special situation.
0: You would think. You would think the current American situation would be enough to bring them out of retirement. I would have bet on I, it. Man. I, I would say that man. they're doing their own thing now with Profits of Rage, yeah, and uh, that's going to go on for a little bit. Um, that's in the over. They're, they're, that's not helping coming, our cause. They were just in town for Rockfest, so yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing their they're thing, doing man. their thing. And
1: uh, yeah, the story goes on, man. At least well, we had our Audio Slave concert, man. At look, least we had our Audio Slave.
0: As amazing as it was to see in some former or another, Audio Slave Prophets of rage. You know, uh, it doesn't. I, I can't. I can't. I can't compare it. I didn't buy a ticket, man. I can't buy myself. To go. Can we talk about the music a little bit. Do we want to talk a little bit about uh, the signature Tom Morello guitar sound? Well, we can talk about whatever the hell we want. So don't we'll you talk about it. I I am right now. I'm trying to incite conversation with you. Yeah,
1: but you 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 you, we assume I know what you're talking about, but the mic
0: doesn't. Wait, okay, listen. (laughs) He's very so Tom Morello as Rage Against the Machines guitarist is very unique in the sense that he's very creative. He doesn't like to do the same things over and over again. For example, why use the synthesizer if you could just make your guitar sound like one by jamming the mic jack into the strings? There's that. And then there's like, why have a DJ in the band when
1: I can scratch on my own? Mm-hmm. You know, when he uh, he does that, um, where he goes from one pickup to another yep. with the switch. Mm-hmm. And he has one pickup on zero and the other pickup on 10. So that every time he switches up to the other pickup, he can pl- he, it's like he's picking. And against this weird scratching thing. And then he does this thing where, you, you know, I I could only... If this was only a video podcast, you, I'm doing a motion here. He is moving
0: his hands. What, describe this motion. It uh, looks like you're jerking off yes. an elephant.
1: No, and also...
0: Caressing the balls.
1: Exactly. He does this motion where it looks like he's jerking off an elephant and caressing the balls. And what he's doing is he's... Uh, going up and down the fretboard and then ramming on the strings with his hand, kind of just scraping them back and forth, making like a DJ scratch sound.
0: Yeah. It's fucking amazing.
1: It's, it's definitely unique. And I, I know nobody's even tried
0: to do that post Morello. No, and you know, even, even with his pedal setups, he, he's always had this crazy shit like, uh, how he uses the wah isn't like you would Traditionally use a wah, like he would put the wah in with all that crazy picking. guys a fucking genius. He he is. Long story short, he's a fucking genius. He's incredibly talented, and I think I love that the most about the band. Just like
1: I feel like he just like picked up a guitar and learned the guitar in its entirety, and then he looked at it and was like, "How could I fuck this thing up now? Like, how could I play it all fucked up? I learned it all too well now, and I'm bored." How do we change this? How the fuck? How do I fuck it up now? And that's what Rage Against the Machine is. It's just, it just—it was a perfect storm. That band was just a perfect storm. Well, look, we
0: already talked about Zach as a vocalist mm-hmm. and the message. Um, Tim as a bassist is a fucking monster. Hearing Brad talk about Tim as a
1: bassist is funny. He describes him as a, as a tree trunk of a man. <laughs> It, it it does describe his playing style. It's just so stable. Yeah. So reliably stable. But
0: that's what makes it so fun for me because it's... I'm not going to say all the songs are easy, but the fundamental, like the important songs that I want to play are relatively simple enough for me to grasp. And every time I lay down the bass lines to them... It makes me happy. I, I can't explain it. I Dude, cannot okay, I cannot explain that feeling. Saying that he's stable doesn't take away from his creativity. No 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 no, no no.
1: Although they may be uh, accessible bass lines. some parts are incredibly un- too, complex. I can't play some of that stuff for sure. Yeah, but a lot of it does remain accessible. But it's they're still killer baselines. Like yeah, ha- like we were describing uh, Tom Morello's playing style. He's going around doing fuck who knows what, mm. scratching this and that. And while he's out there doing like really weird shit that. May not be holding down the rhythm. You have no backup rhythm guitar section either, no, right? No, Tim, Tim is... He's just holding bass. it down. He's holding it down with that fucking riff. It just makes so much sense. You see this from... Every Rage Against the Machine song. That's why we could be general now. Yeah. Cause these elements are in across the
0: board. Across all albums. Yeah. And even like I said earlier on in, in the music we play, you know, the simple like chords on the bass when you wouldn't expect a chord to be played or like yeah. uh, an open note and then you would play a chord. Oh or, yeah. It's, it keeps it interesting, right? It just, it, it comes in so strong as a, um, as a bass line that like when I pair it with synth and shit, like when, when we played the, like that funkier song. That we had, I, I use that kind of technique on it, and it just it adds so much to the oh, song. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: he's inspired. Even Brad Wilk, uh, I'll, I'll listen to his, I'll listen to his drums before a jam often, and I find that he has that right amount of rock and funk. It's 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 like almost funky. It's kind of like it's got a swing to it. There's like a, there there's a very much um, groovy element to how he plays drums. A lot of open hi hat. He can really lay it in there. And I take that to our jam sessions, you know, Mm -hmm. like I try at least. It's fun. If I could be any drummer, I'd love to be Brad Wilk. You know, like he's just one of those solid fucking drummers. Or John Theodore. Yeah, I love John Theodore too. Or Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl sings now.
0: That's true. (laughs)
1: Dave Grohl from Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, definitely. And the list of great drummers go on, but that's for another podcast episode. Yeah, definitely,
0: definitely. You know what? This was fun,
1: man. What I really liked, that we we didn't mention Renegades. At all. No, because it's not a real album. But it is. It it does have at least two singles on it. It has two original songs. The, The format of this episode was great, dude. We got to talk a little bit about the chronology and a little bit about the albums and how they came out, and what was going on at that time period, and then we got to just shoot the shit about one of my favorite bands of all
0: time. What was really cool is when we decided to do this, was just before Record Store Day hit, and, uh, you know, we, we were really on the fence about going out there and, and like, doing the grind, doing the Record Store Day grind, and I know it's been a little bit of time that's passed since Record Record Store Day in April, but... Um, you know, we ha- we had the show, and uh, we did get really busy, and we're trying to catch back up now. So uh, I think now's a good enough time than ever as to talk about you know our record store day purchase.
1: Well, I mean, the the reason why it's so relevant to this episode, and I felt like we should wait for this episode to 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 talk about it, is that Rage Against the Machine released a record store day special of their uh, concert at the National Democratic Convention in two thousand. Uh, MTV was supposed to be broadcasting that that one-hour special concert to kind of uh, bring attention to young people going out to vote, like a kind of voter die type uh, type campaign. But MTV couldn't guarantee a slot because they were having problems getting permits from the uh, city to allow it. So what happened we'll was use air
0: quotes for that they were having problems with permits.
1: That's the uh, yeah, that's the um, the rated G version. I'm sure that they mm-hmm. just were trying to block them. But anyways. So what happened was some of the protest groups had a one-hour time slot uh, to kind of campaign and to do their thing there uh, to give a speech or whatever, and they gave their time slot to Rage Against the Machine so that they can come and perform uh, to protest that's, that's the uh, yeah. So they got their one hour uh, the and we got our fucking LP on record
0: store day of that set. Yeah. So that was uh, the, at the DNC. That was at the DNC. They also have a couple other live albums, but those weren't Record Store Day releases. That's right. They have the, they the have Olympia, Olympia, a few. The live at the Grand Olympia, which was really cool. And
1: there's at least two DVDs, two live DVDs, too. One from Mexico and one from
0: LA yeah, so, at Olympia. So what else did you pick up for Record Store Day? I mean, since we were talking about it, I mean, this was the really the first time we went out there and, and did the grind. I didn't really necessarily enjoy it, but we had a fun day. It
1: was a good day. It was a good day, man. When the fuck else do we get up uh, that early on a weekend? We were at, at the at get, the shop up, at nine o'clock.
0: I get up pretty early for the dog.
1: Yeah, maybe roll out of bed. Yeah, but we were out there doing our fucking thing, nine waiting o'clock lines, shut. fighting the crowds, dude. I was elbowing kids. There was a little girl. I elbowed her in the head. You know, just to get my rage, man. You got to get away from my rage. You were savage. I was a savage. I was a savage. I got my way in there, and we got our fucking rage against the machine.
0: So uh, that that's not all you got. You want me to go through my list? I got Prince, yeah, uh, the 1999
1: special release, Record Store Day release. I got a Notorious B.I.G. Juicy single on Clear Smoky Vinyl, which was that, that really was really cool. nice.
0: I like that. I like that. Yeah, that
1: was really cool. Uh, I picked up a whole bunch of other stuff, but it wasn't Record Store Day. Yeah, uh, well, I'm going
0: to skip that too. Yeah. So.
1: What'd you pick up, man?
0: Uh, Remind the, us. The Doors. Yeah. Let's Feed Ice Cream to the Rats. It's oh, like a live, yeah. live release. It was really cool. The only thing that disappoints me about it is the tape runs out on uh, on one of the tracks on side two, so you don't get the whole side two, or the the whole <laughs> second show. Uh, what they did is they had, like, two shows recorded, and side A is the show one, and side B is show two.
1: It sucks, so, but it adds a little quirky, kind of collectible uh, feel to the, the whole record, no?
0: yeah, it's cut. Yeah. Yep, I picked up also I picked up the Stooges, which was a re remaster re-release. That's a solid album. That I was looking cool. for that for a really long time. Um I kept asking asking Steve every time he went to Lane's Ketzzif to uh, to check and see if they had a copy, but that was a record store day release. It was a re-release, yeah, cool. for record store day. Uh then I picked up the uh Les Colocs, which is a French French Canadian band uh from from Quebec. The orange one, eh? The orange one Colored I got uh, they had the uh, two, I think they had a clear and a color. That's limited. It's nice. Yeah. I went
1: yeah. for the
0: orange. I don't know why I picked it up, but, uh. It was a huge item in Montreal, man. Look, I walked in. It was there. I said no. And I was like, you know, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to miss up on it. So I had a little FOMO, but why not?
1: Yeah. So three record stores on record store day. I think that was a pretty good run. That, uh, that lineup outside of, uh, was just. It's crazy, unsurmountable. It was crazy. Yeah, I really I, did not feel like doing that.
0: Look, as soon and we were we were having a discussion on the way over to uh, where did we go? Nicks? Yeah, yeah. Instead, we were like, you know what, what, what do we do if the lineups out there? That, you know, we had shown in the front, and um, it was. Bunch of people, but like, do we do we wait it out? You know, what's the reasonable amount of people before we go in? And as we're pulling by, light-up's fucking out the door and around the corner. Just at like, least nope, half a block up, man. No, nope, <clears throat> keep going. We went to Beatnik's. There's absolutely no one, so shout out. And what a cool store that was. Honestly, no, there was not nobody in the store. It was fucking busy still, if you remember. Beatnik's was busy. I got beat
1: out on my Nas. Yeah. Somebody stole my fucking Nas. It was my Nas. Look, we didn't have to wait in a fucking three and a half block line. Yeah, at least I didn't have to elbow little girls. You know, at least it wasn't that. But like, still, one of the coolest shops i ever been to in the city. Uh, great selection of jazz, great selection of funk. We found a lot of cool stuff. I picked up Funkadelic, yeah, too. Not I a like, record store they release, but I was so happy to have it. Yeah, I got a lot of
0: stuff there, too. Yeah. I got some Nina Simone, some ja- uh, the new Jack White, which was, was really right. cool. Uh, some hips. So, like, all in all... I think we had a splurge, a nice splurge day. It was a good day, man. Good day to spend some record money.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been taking it easy ever since. Just a record here and there <laughs> since then because, man, we got a budget. got a budget in this life, people. It's unfortunate, but, yeah, that's what happens. So, all that being said, we're going to close up episode number 22, and you guys, you should get in touch with us. Facebook,
0: Instagram, You me. can send us an email, uh, thedbthguys at gmail.com. Uh, you can look us up on Facebook at the DBTH guys, Instagram DBTH guys. You can uh, do the hashtag, the hashtag, uh, make some time for music. That'll yeah, yeah. usually get us.
1: You'll get all our posts. Nearly all our posts have hashtag.
0: You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google Play Music, most of the big Spotify places, and uh, you know we're we're around. Facebook message us uh, or the the page. We'll uh, we'll get back to you. And most importantly, remember everybody. Make some time for
1: music. It's fucking important.